What a weekend it was for Miguel Cabrera. I'll tell you why hitting his 500th home run was particularly impressive. The Atlanta Braves are one of the hottest teams in Major League Baseball and may be a dark horse contender for the National League pennant. Plus, in New York, it seems like the Jets have finally found their franchise quarterback in Zach Wilson. And I think he has the highest chance of immediate success out of any of the other guys taken in this year's draft. All of that and more on this edition of Stern Spotlight. We back, we back, we back. Feels good to finally be close to football season again. Once the dog days of August wind down and we get closer to September and we get an appetizer-sized dose with preseason games. Feels like football is getting close again and the training camp narratives are dominating headlines once again. Getting to watch backups run around in numbers that they probably won't be wearing in a few weeks. But hey now, I'll take it. I love watching guys' heads clash around on the gridiron. I love the seeing the sweat dripping down off the offensive linemen's faces. And I love seeing quarterbacks back there in duress wondering who they're going to throw the ball to. Feels like it's football season again, and I love it. But before we discuss anything football-related... We have to start with the big storyline of the weekend, which came out of Toronto by way of Mr. Majestic Miggy hitting his 500th home run. Miguel Cabrera's accomplishment is much more impressive than the last few guys who have hit their 500th home run. And Big Poppy David Ortiz and A-Royd Alex Rodriguez. I'm talking about you guys. See, unlike Mr. Ortiz... Our Mr. Aroyd, who played most of their career in big market cities like New York and Boston, Miguel Cabrera has played the entirety of his 19-year big league career with two smaller market teams. Started off with the Florida Marlins, won a World Series in his first season in the league with a team of some great underrated players. I'm talking about Derek Lee, I'm talking about Juan Pierre, and I'm talking about Josh Beckett, who was the key starting pitcher on that team. But Cabrera played a nice role early on there, kind of as a secondary type of player, and then slowly blossomed into a superstar. Florida Marlins, the rest of his time in Miami, were never a great team. They were always much, much watch baseball because of Miguel Cabrera. He changed the trajectory of that organization while he was there. And once he left Florida, he was traded to another small market team in the Detroit Tigers, where he played with the likes of Brandon Inge and Maglio Ordonez and Victor Martinez. Now, Martinez and Ordonez were stars as well, but Inge and some of the other guys he played with were not very well known. That team was not very well known. Sure, they made the World Series in 2006, a couple of years before he arrived, but when you mention the Detroit Tigers, no one turns your head the way they do when you mention the Cubs or the White Sox or the Yankees or the Red Sox. 
or even the second-place New York team playing in Queens, for that matter, which makes the attention and hype surrounding Cabrera's career that much more impressive. Furthermore, unlike a lot of the other guys who reached 500 home runs, Cabrera did it the clean way. That's impressive in an era full of cheaters and guys who juiced up and got caught up in all these dirty scandals, like David Ortiz, like Alex Rodriguez, like the home run king himself, Barry Bonds, like Sammy Sosa, or Mark McGuire, or Rafael Palmero. Pretty much anyone who hit for power in the modern era was a juicer. Miguel Cabrera, he did things the clean way. He was always Mr. Right. And that's something you have to admire about him. Regardless of his issues with strikeouts at times and his defensive shortcomings as his career progressed and his performance, which over the past couple of years has tapered out as he's gotten to 38 years old. Miguel Cabrera has always been a guy who played the game and did things the right way. And for that reason, his ability to perform at a consistently high level on his way to 500 home runs is that much more impressive. Oh, and did I mention his age? When most people look at Miguel Cabrera's stat line, they forget he made his big league debut when he was only 20 years old. Wasn't even old enough to go out and buy a beer when he started in the major leagues. Because of the minor leagues, most guys don't make their debut until they're in their mid-20s at least. And for that reason, a lot of baseball players don't hit the prime of their career until they're in their early 30s. While a lot of professional athletes age like milk, Miguel Cabrera has aged like a fine wine. He won back-to-back Silver Slugger Awards, the sixth and seventh of his career, in his 12th and 13th season in the big leagues. He also hit 338 and 316 in those seasons. His career longevity and ability to do it at a high level in a game that's evolved and changed so much over the last decade, whether it be the batter's approaches, whether it be the uptick in velocity, whether it be the different style of the game then versus now. Miguel Cabrera has defied all expectations about what's possible and what's not with a superhuman performance, which is why I hope we can take a second to clap it up and appreciate Majestic Miggy one more time before he decides to finally hang it up. One team that, heading into 2021, had a ton of hype and high expectations, but fell a little bit out of the spotlight after a rough start, but is slowly snaking and crawling and leaping and jumping their way back into contention is the Atlanta Braves. See, just like that close friend you had in high school who was really popular and well-liked by everyone, elevated the social status of your friend group. Soon thereafter, 
became known as a loser by everyone at the school, but then somehow found a way to get back into your friend group's group chat, the Atlanta Braves are that high potential, extremely popular kid that for some odd reason, everyone wanted to forget about. Early on, the Braves seemed poised to make a run for the National League pennant. And why not? They have a solid rotation. We're supposed to get their best pitcher in Mike Soroka back and have one of the best cores of young players in Major League Baseball. Ronald Acuna was looking like an MVP candidate before he tore his ACL. Ozzie Albies has evolved into one of the best second basemen in Major League Baseball. Freddie Freeman continues to absolutely rake at the dish. And Dansby Swanson is a nice complimentary piece. This team on paper had no real holes and gave every reason to believe they could survive the wear and tear of an 162-game season. Without any doubt, they were the front runners in the National League East. That was until the season actually began and they struggled out of the gate. Soroka suffered a setback and was declared out for the remainder of this season. And then when things looked like they couldn't get any worse, Ronald Acuna went down with a torn ACL. That's it for Atlanta, right? Let's write this season off. They're going to finish in third or fourth place. Wrong. Everyone, myself included, laughed at the Braves' front office when they went out at the trade deadline and acted like millionaires eager to empty their pocket at a thrift shop. And while they didn't do anything crazy and make any splashy deals or acquire any superstars, quietly, they upgraded their roster. They traded for Jorge Soler, brought back Adam Duvall, and then took advantage of Chicago's fire sale and got Jock Peterson. None of those guys jump out to you. They're all nice power bats that you can stick in your lineup and expect to hit the ball out of the ballpark every now and then, but none of those guys wow you. To everyone's surprise, though, they've been arguably the biggest different makers in this team's turnaround. Once Acuna went down, you knew there, were gonna, there was going to be a hole. No one in their right mind believed that Abraham Almonte or Guillermo Heredia, as good as they've been in secondary utility-type roles, could fill Acuna's king-size shoes. Solaire, Duval, and Peterson haven't been able to do so either. When you lose an MVP-caliber player, you can't expect to plug someone in the lineup and there to be no drop-off. But what the three guys acquired at the deadline have done is they provided a spark. They've given the other guys in the lineup confidence. They've helped this team put more runs on the scoreboard on a nightly basis. They've given them veteran presence in the clubhouse. And I think their contributions play a big role in this team's resurgence as a bona fide National League pennant contender. Heck, I never thought I'd say it, but I'll go ahead and do it anyway. 
I think Acuna's injury almost lit a fire under this team. The proof is in the pudding. They've played much better baseball without him. And I don't know if it's increased the pressure on Freddie or Dansby or Ozzy, but they've all played a lot better since he's been out. They kind of realized that there was no one else to pick up the slack when they struggled. Each at bat, each play in the field, it became that much more important. The rotation, led by Max Fried's second half turnaround, has pitched a lot better, realizing there won't be as many runs on the scoreboard without him. Haters will say, I'm sure, oh, their nine-game winning streak came against the Nationals, Marlins, and Orioles. Fair point, but winning nine straight games on the road is enough to catch any logical baseball fan's attention, regardless of who the opponent is. And this next stretch against the Dodgers and Giants, the bad boys of the Wild West, should help gauge whether this Braves team is pretenders or true contenders. But just like Trey Young's Atlanta Hawks, the Braves are coming in hot, baby, and it would be stupid to write them off. As fun as it is to watch baseball during the height of a pennant race and speculate about what the postseason is going to look like, we can't forget about America's other pastime, which is getting ready to start in a couple of weeks. Ah, what a sweet sound it is. Since we can't listen to it for real for another couple of weeks, I thought we'd listen to the electric guitar rock and roll version of the NFL on Fox theme song because I can't wait. And another group of people who's just as excited as I am to start the NFL season and probably a lot more anxious is this year's rookie draft class. Every year, there's standout rookies who make their contributions and surprise everyone. But the spotlight and the focus and the center of attention is always on the signal callers lining up under center. In this year's draft, there were five quarterbacks taken in the top 15, all of whom should see the field at some point. Obviously, all the attention is on the number one pick, Trevor Lawrence. And there's been a lot of speculation coming out of Jacksonville about whether he would be the starter or if popular fanboy Gardner Minshew would get the nod. I think people have forgotten about the guy taken right after Trevor Lawrence. You know, that person who everyone got on the hype train just as it was leaving the station about, even though they had never watched him play a snap in their life. Yeah, I'm talking about Zach Wilson from BYU. And the reason I'm talking about him is because I think he will have the most instant success out of any of the other quarterbacks taken in this year's draft. If we did a first day of school type of introduction with all of the other quarterbacks taken and judge them solely on their previous accomplishments, Lawrence, Mac Jones, and Justin Fields would reign supreme. We wouldn't even want to listen to what Trey Lance or Zach Wilson had to say. But looking at the situation that all five guys were drafted into, 
it's obvious that Zach Wilson got the most lucky. I mean, look at New England. Sure, Bill Belichick has won six Super Bowls, but no one knows if he can do anything without Tom Brady. It remains to be seen. So he can't sprinkle magic fairy dust on Jones and expect him to be great. Justin Fields was drafted by a dumpster fire of an organization. And I'll be giving my TED Talk about that a little bit later in the show. Trevor Lawrence has struggled mightily in the preseason. And you're opening a Pandora's box of unknowns when it comes to Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. Sure, he was a great college coach, but there's no telling how that's going to translate. Since quarterbacks and head coaches are attached by the hip in the NFL, I don't know how good Trevor Lawrence is going to be. Maybe at some point down the road in his career, he's a lot better. Perhaps he's a late bloomer, but right out of the gate, I don't know if you can set lofty expectations with him. With the Jets, they wanted a do-over. They realized that they did Sam Darnold dirty. They watched him run for his dear life behind horrible offensive linemen and stare down the field like a deer in headlights as he tried to look for receivers that weren't getting open. And this time, that front office decided to do something differently. They decided to invest in their quarterback. They drafted Elijah Moore in the second round out of Ole Miss. To everyone's surprise, they traded up and took a guard, Elijah Vera Talker, who projects to be a day one starter in the first round. They've provided Zach Wilson with all of the resources that Sam Darnold didn't have. And I just talked about the unknown with Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. If there was ever a situation where a first-year HUD coach was bound to succeed, it's in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Robert Sala, the new head coach of the Jets, who found a ton of success as defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, has completely changed the tone in that building. All of a sudden, there's optimism. People think they can finally succeed and compete in a really tough division. And what was the first thing that Robert Sala did after being brought on board? He brought in Mike LaFleur. Yeah, the brother of Packers head coach Matt LaFleur. He's from the LaFleur family tree. And because of that, you know he's an innovative, offensive-minded guy. And instead of trying to build a playbook and say, these are my plays, let's go run them, he's going to construct one around what Zach Wilson is good at. And in the preseason, we've seen a lot of play actions. We've seen a lot of rollouts. We've seen bootlegs. We've seen underneath tight ends as safety valves. And after signing veteran receiver Corey Davis, the team finally has a proven playmaker at the receiver position. What an anomaly, right? Instead of handing over the keys to a used Honda or a Subaru, nothing against that all-wheel drive, the New York Jets have decided to provide Zach Wilson with the keys 
to their Lamborghini. Now all he needs to do is drive it on home. No matter how this season goes for Wilson, he should be thanking everything and everybody that he wasn't drafted by the Chicago Bears like Justin Fields was. The Chicago Bears are committing organizational malpractice by the way they're treating Justin Fields. No, seriously, who drafts a quarterback 11th overall and then doesn't give them a fair chance to compete for the starting job? And I would get it if there was some proven veteran already in there, a pro bowler in the twilight of their career. But Andy Dalton? Andy Dalton. The same guy who lost the starting job in Dallas last year when he came in as the backup. The same guy who fell out of favor in Cincinnati and has been on a steady nosedive since he left. We already know who Andy Dalton is. He's a below average veteran in this league. He's never going to help a team get to the next level. And even with a mistake-prone rookie taking snaps, you're bound to do a lot better with Fields than you are with Dalton. What in the world is general manager Ryan Pace and head coach Matt Nagy thinking? Are they trying to lose their jobs? Because if so, they should just go out Soldier Field with signs that say looking for a new job. That would be a much more effective way to start the search. Because when you put the red-headed Statue of Liberty back there, you're not gonna win enough games to keep your job. Think about the message that starting Dalton over Fields sends to the locker room. You have a guy on the roster who is a proven playmaker at the college level, contains all of the attributes to succeed in today's NFL, we saw a little sliver of what he could do in the preseason, and then you go with the veteran who hasn't played good football in forever. These guys would have to be crazy to look at someone with a straight face and say, we're serious about winning. That's how hard it is to believe. We already know who Andy Dalton is. This isn't a matter of where's Waldo, where's the guy we saw a few years ago. We know what type of player he is, and because of that, you have to imagine it's only a matter of time until Justin Fields eventually takes over. And do you really want him taking the reins when games don't matter anymore? When people don't want to show up at Soldier Field because they're so pissed off by the incompetence upstairs? Long term, Fields is the future of the organization regardless of who the head coach and general manager is come 2022. Why don't you want to jumpstart the future now and see how good he really is? See if he's the guy or diagnose the issue if you're the problem. There's no benefit to starting Andy Dalton over Justin Fields. And if the Chicago Bears don't reverse course between now and the season starts, they're doing a disservice to themselves they're doing a disservice to their fan base. And most importantly, they are doing a disservice to Justin Fields in his development. When the team threw Mitchell Trubisky out like a used couch, 
placing him in the dumpster of their facility and waiting for another team to come take him. Bears fans thought the bad days were behind them. They thought the organization finally bit the bullet and was going to make up for their mistakes. But after Trubisky came back for a reunion tour of sorts and tore up their defense during the preseason, it's obvious he wasn't the only issue at hand here. And until the Chicago Bears get new leadership, Nagy and Pace will continue to weigh Fields and everyone else down. It's going to be fun to monitor the situation with the rookie quarterbacks this season and see who ultimately comes out on top. And I'll be shining a spotlight back on that in a future episode of Stern Spotlight. Enjoy talking about the Atlanta Braves paying tribute to Majestic Miggy, talking about some of the rookie quarterbacks. And I'll be back again soon with another edition of Stern Spotlight.